Welcome to another episode of the New Vision Podcast. Today I'm joined by business owner and software engineer Shannon Clark and we get into a very long and um, deep discussion on subjects such as AI, how to improve the government sector in terms of efficiency and uh, a very open conversation on depression and learning from failure when you're involved in entrepreneurship. Let's get into it. Very happy to be joined by Shannon Clark, a leading software engineer in Barbados and the Caribbean. Uh, we're going to be talking quite a bit about tech and and the impact in Barbados and the Caribbean. And we're actually talking quite a bit off here about payments, which could be a separate podcast in the future <laughs> on a on a stand, on that standalone topic. Hi, Shannon. How's it going? Hey, Jose. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the community. Um, it's going great. I, I always say that I'm too young to have problems. I'm living in lovely Barbados. Yeah, so <laughs> 2020 has been a wild ride, um, but it's also put me in a, in a position. And it, 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 I think it's actually forced a lot of persons to be introspective and Re-evaluate. focus on right, reevaluate uh, where are we and where are we going to go in many different aspects of life. But yeah, I'm, I'm great. How are you? Yes, I'm doing pretty well, and and what you've said there that that that's certainly been me, and um, that's partially led to the podcast as well in terms of thinking about some of these issues, some of these challenges we face, and challenges are just another way for saying opportunities to grow, and you can either wallow in self pity and um, just saying things are insurmountable, or you can try to actually get something changed. Um, so I want to start off by asking, what would have inspired you to, to pursue a, a tech career in the first place? Okay. Um, so I've always been interested in technology, not from the womb, but definitely fr- from watching my older brother. Um, so, so I'm the youngest of three. Mm-hmm. And my, my older brother has always been into technology. I've seen him building computers. Um, building websites, and as any good little brother, I wanted to do what my older brother was doing and do it better. Yeah, so um, I, from when I was twelve, I started to build my first website, and I found out, uh, I think it was in summer vacation, that um, there are these online games that you can play with people that you've never met before. You know, so there were chat rooms and whatnot. Um, is it nineties you're referring to? Is it? Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely. Um, actually, yeah, yeah, late 90s, actually. So so there are a lot of these bulletin boards and uh, message boards, like precursor to social networks. And um, I, I I was playing that game, and then for one reason or another, the webmaster, which is what we used to call developers at that time, he shut down the site and he just left a message, you know, he had, he's busy with school. And a lot of persons from the, from that game decided to try to start their own, you know, and as crazy as that was. And I was one of the persons who said, you know what, I think we can do this too, because I didn't like the game that they were making. I didn't think it had the same spirit. So what I did was that I built a very, very simple website. Um, I would update it manually on my own, and I started to invite my own friends. And that became uh, an email RPG, kind of like Dungeons & Dragons, where you're playing it online, they were emailing their strategies. And that was actually the first real website that I built. I had built different test websites before. It was an online game. 
And before I knew it, <laughs> there were people at school that I never met that were playing the game. You know, so so everybody had their own like game handle. Um, mm -hmm. Mine was Spike zero nine zero nine, and people were calling me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were calling me that out in person. I was like, what? That, that's, that's a little bit embarrassing. But um, I, I would say that from that age, I and playing with Legos, of course, because uh, I was very fortunate that my parents would indulge me in that. Um, I I always had an interest in building things, and I was I was always aspiring to to get into robotics. So I actually studied and um, spent seven years as an electrical engineer. Loved it, very much loved it. I was in construction, utility, as well as mechanical engineering, plumbing, design. Uh, this is for commercial and industrial buildings. But um, I got very, very bored of the paperwork. It was a lot of paperwork. I, oh, I, admin. Right, exactly. No, no, admin is good in some aspects because of people management. You learn a lot about yourself when you manage people. But I, I got this growing desire to build things again. And I found myself moving further and further away from the design aspect of it. as Because uh, I was working at Light and Power. Uh, that, that was my final job when I was employed for someone else. And I, I started to then spend <laughs> probably just as much time. I, I, I will go to work. I will work like uh, an engineer's job here within the region. Engineers work a ridiculous amount of time. We were pretty much from six until like eight o'clock. And I was then come home and then spend like from nine until three trying to learn to program or improve my programming skills, building different websites and whatnot. And that, 20 hour work there, basically, or 18 hours or something like that. Pretty much, you know, pretty much, you know, because, you know, I'm working right throughout the day, but then my passion and my desire to, like, I just want to build this thing because I had these different ideas and I seen the iPhone come about and, um, well, BlackBerry initially, then iPhone, then Android, you know, it became more and more accessible to build something that could get in easily into the hands of other persons. That's what really intrigued me. So when there were regional competitions, regional technology competitions, hackathons, we call them, um, spreading through the, I believe. Right. We, we, we still do. We still do. But it, within the region, they're not quite as popular, even though they're starting to make a resurgence. But mm -hmm. around 20, 2012, uh, 2011, 2012, um, the IDB uh, started to promote, um, wanted to increase technology inclusion within the region and, and advocate for development of local solutions. So there was a competition called Digital Jam. And they said, hey, if you build an innovative solution, we're going to reward you. Well, you didn't have to speak to me twice. <laughs> so... I, I probably didn't sleep then, you know, and formed a small team and we went to um, Jamaica and the, 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 really truly, while the, the awards were definitely inspiration and I was surprised that my job even gave me time to go there, uh, I the, just being around other persons that had that same curiosity and the desire to build things, that was the reward for mm -hmm. itself. So when we were announced as the grand winners, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. But what was even more amazing than that? What, what year that would have been? That was 2014. Yes, 2014. February, March, 2014. So, I mean, yes. that's, about, that's over six years ago. Just over six years ago. Almost feels like yesterday. Yeah. Oh, seven years <laughs> going, going seven years now. Almost. Mm -hmm. 
Almost. So, so, so yeah, please go ahead. And so given your, your, your story of transitioning from being an electrical, electrical engineer, and then, um, going into the software side, well, my, my dad would actually have been an electrical, um, engineer, uh, would have, um, taught, mm-hmm. taught at BCC M&E, as they call it, mechanical and electrical engineering. Um, awesome. but transitioning over into the software side, um, so, so what, what would you say have been some of the major changes in the technology space that you've, you've seen in both Barbados and the Caribbean over, over that period of time? Um, so much has changed. Uh, so, so cer- certainly our consumption habits have changed a lot in terms of as consumers themselves, but we, we, we've seen a gradual and more recently um, uh, critical change in the adoption of technology in business itself, right? So, um, where where most most businesses will look for the cheapest and perhaps the free option, or if they are going to go with a paid solution, definitely just go to the tried and true vendors. Um, we're seeing more and more businesses being willing to work directly with software companies within the region. What I don't think many people have noticed is that there's been this change from most um, web design agencies just focusing on customizing websites, such as WordPress mm-hmm. websites, um, WordPress being an open source platform for building websites for any of your um, listeners, uh, to building their own custom solutions, not only just websites, but also business solutions themselves. Now, is not that, many is that of you're those. Referring to, or is that that's something? Is it referring to apps or something else? Not necessarily SaaS, but let's think of it in terms of business productivity. I, I, I'm sorry, solutions. just for, so, for for people, I'm not, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure the the tech cognoscenti <laughs> knows exactly what SaaS is. But for for those listeners that might not be into the the IT terminology, um, SaaS stands for is that um, software as a service? Is it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So. So, okay, let's just take a, a couple of steps back here. Um, so when you're mentioning software as a service, that's really a business model which you can utilize for mm-hmm. um, distributing software to customers. Uh, otherwise, you could sell it for free. Um, you could sell with advertising. And there are different um, best practices or common practices, I should say, that have been promoted within the Western market just generally. What, what, what I was referring to is that um, most companies, they will sell websites on a, let's say, on a consulting basis. You know, so it's a project and they're probably going to be paid for the website uh, as a project, you know, so probably a mobilization fee and then a total fee then delivered to the client. Um, however, businesses then, when they're using business productivity software, where maybe they want to track who's doing what task on what day, what's the progress of X, Y, and Z, or the financials and whatnot. A lot of that information was really stored in spreadsheets. Now, um, mm-hmm. this is true throughout the world, right? Um, I, I think Excel spreadsheets remains one of the most used software for uh, just tracking numbers and whatnot. But when it came on critical data, that's not typically just kept within a spreadsheet. It's usually within a database and a custom solution. Now, what, what's been happening over the last, I guess, uh, five, six years is that more and more companies have been moving away from depending on 
Microsoft or whatever other solution over uh, overseas Oracle, etc. Where they would where they may require specialized servers and hardware to run the software to working with local and regional companies who are basically um, offering custom solutions. So that may be that that may be more apparent to some persons when they're seeing the websites pop up that have uh, inventory that shows, okay, it's out of date, for instance, it's out of stock, for instance. You know, and, and in that case, and a retailer may have a custom solution that is linked to their cashier, their point of sale machine. Inventory. Exactly. So that their inventory management is not happening within a spreadsheet that somebody then has to reconcile at the end of the day. It's all happening behind the scenes and the customer doesn't really notice. It's all it's all in one solution for the business itself. So, so basically I'm saying that while at that point in time in 2012, 2014, a lot of developers like myself, we were trying to build software for consumers, trying to say, okay, well, can we play can we build video games? Can we build health apps, you know, um, applications for end users to utilize? Um, now what we're seeing more opportunity is, is in terms of selling that software to businesses and large organizations. And that may be in a recurring model, recurring payment model, which is software as a service model, where you're collecting monthly or annual payments on a recurring basis, or maybe a one-time payment. Uh, and um, in terms of that, is, is there normally a determination of which which direction to go? Is there a certain things you would be analyzing to, to determine which type of model you should go as a, as a, as a developer or a business um, determining between those different options in terms of payments? So software as a service really came about um, as a means of reducing the upfront costs to a customer for adopting new technology. Because um, especially during the 90s and before the iPhone, it was pretty much Microsoft and maybe Oracle when it came to business software and when it came to um, consumer software, it was just free apps. You know, most people never paid for any apps on um, uh, a BlackBerry, for instance, and some still don't do, do, some still don't pay on Android. iPhone really changed a lot of that buying behavior. So so then even with the iPhone, though, uh, you, you only had 99 cents. So the best way to get people to change their behavior was to say, okay, well, the price is low. So whereas software may have taken and still takes tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of labor hours, paying developers, et cetera, to develop over time, you don't want to then put that price directly in front of your customer. So you're going to say, okay, well, it's $100 a month and try and lock you in for a number of years. Um, the problem with that, though, and not only within the region, but also overseas, is that well? Sometimes the customer will drop out after uh, a few a few months. So it's not necessarily that you're going to recoup the the cost and the time uh, spent basically and onboarding that, that customer as onboarding that business or um, person citizen. Let's say because I'm trying to avoid calling them a user <laughs> that has bad connotations um, as a customer, and so then. Sometimes it's, it's better to just say, okay, well, here's an annual license, which is the old method of selling software. So in, in, in to, to just make a long answer short, I would say that 
outside of the e-commerce challenges within the region, I'm sure we're going to get to those. Uh, it is if you're a, if you're a small business uh, that needs cash flow, because cash flow is oxygen, then definitely <laughs> it is king. It is king. Absolutely, I agree with you. Um, then having an annual license, knowing that this this customer is joining on, yeah, yeah, and is going to be paying then for at a at a rate that is profitable for you to keep servicing them that is better so you know you have an annual license and i, I personally have found uh, most businesses prefer that because they don't want to be switching software every few months well i i wouldn't um if, if you find something these you don't you don't really want to be switching around so the the the, the key is to find something that works for your business or for you individually so 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 like just to expand on that point, then, if, if you notice, then I'm basically saying that the software engine development market has has really matured from uh, a play field of hobbyists, and I'm including myself in that, you know, because I I, I was uh, I was adventurous enough to say, okay, I can leave my um, excellent engineering career behind and join into software development simply off a of passion, simply off a of passion, right? Um, and but then had to find well okay what's the most profitable business model, and so so it's matured from hobbyists to then okay well let, let's make this into actual business. That that's been then the challenge that most developers, software developers, software engineers have had to solve either individually or in teams. Um. So you would have brought up there about getting into e-commerce and, and so on earlier, and obviously off air we were speaking about payment solutions. Um, so, so maybe in, in the next question I wanted to ask you, this might be something you're looking forward to, uh, but there have been many exciting developments in the overall technology sector, whether it's digital currencies, whether it's machine learning, whether it's AI. What are you most looking forward to over the next five years or so uh, for, in terms of the Caribbean um, side of things? I'm particularly looking forward to... Um, the application of artificial intelligence as a general purpose software. I'm saying general purpose, well, I shouldn't say software, general purpose technology, um, because it's now accessible to us in many different aspects, either as part of packages from software vendors like Microsoft are available as tools for developers like myself to use and package them for sale to businesses. I, I see this as um, the next step and a potential opportunity really and truly for the Caribbean to leapfrog in certain areas, such as, for instance, um, we right now have an issue where most small businesses, they don't have a website. And those that do have a website, it's not often updated or not given an accurate representation of their business. As a method of uh, avoiding the input costs of building their own website and maintaining their own website, most businesses have moved towards WhatsApp in order to engage with their business, with their customers. But the problem is, is that if they don't have the team uh, or the operation logistics to manage the influx of orders as well as manage um, handling those orders, tracking those orders, and then ultimately um, fulfilling the deliveries, then it becomes a customer service nightmare, which is quite frankly what's hmm. happened throughout the region with regard to COVID. A lot of the larger retailers were able to take back from 
um, a lot of smaller um, businesses who started to take in some of their market share uh, simply because of customer service levels. Now, what artificial intelligence could allow those small businesses to do is to basically have uh, automated customer service um, bot, let's say a robot, basically that can answer any queries mm, coming. Questions. Exactly. Mm. Any queries coming from customers um, who, who are uh, trying to find out, well, okay, is this actually a good product? Like, so, so something I always tell my clients who are coming to me for websites that any website or any online presence must answer four questions. And must say, okay, well, is it relevant to the actual customer need? Um, does it make it easy for them to actually engage? Well, they'll find the service that they actually need, you know, especially if you're offering more than one service. And then three, then, okay, well, can they actually engage with you? You know, can they make that payment? Maybe it's going to be cash in hand. Hopefully it's online payment. And then finally, then, do you actually give them an opportunity then to become a, a customer advocate? You give them an opportunity to come back and make that second sale, make that second purchase from you. Now, with, with automation then, which is really what um, artificial intelligence can allow businesses to do, with automation, then you can actually have the opportunity where you can be managing and producing, making, uh, fulfilling those orders, creating the goods and make, doing the packaging for those different orders while your, your automated customer service bot is answering questions from a hundred different customers and then highlighting the ones that you have to answer directly. Um, we're seeing this right now with some businesses starting to use custom solutions. Some are figuring out how to use Messenger, um, bot. Those are paid solutions. But a lot more could be done, let's say, even if you're saying in terms of government. There's no reason why we should have to be calling the government um, office and waiting for the uh, voice over IP system, you know, like that. Um, I can't remember the acronym right now. Is that escaping me? But where you have to press one for this department, press two for that department. Press zero to speak to operator. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had, had to deal with that over the last two or three weeks, so I, I can remember exactly what the <laughs> you know, the options are. But um, yeah, that, that's definitely a big bugbear of mine, so, so I definitely agree with you on that one. Exactly, right? And and it's not only going to be an improvement in convenience for the general citizen, but also reduce a lot of the time that government employees need to spend answering phone calls, allowing them to then open up new methods to become more efficient. You know, um, so for instance, instead of spending all that time answering um, answering different phone calls and maybe general queries, which could be already answered in the FAQ, the frequently asked questions section of their website, because I know most of the government ministries have a website, then mm -hmm. persons could log a request on the automated system. And then they then get a ticket, an automated ticket, and then what's so, so that then they can follow up on that. So maybe that's then sent to their email. Maybe it's just told to them over the phone. Um, and once that issue is actually being addressed over time, then they can then get a, a message then coming back to them. All automated. Nobody has to then pick up the phone and then call back 100 or 1,000 <laughs> citizens every day, right? Uh, telling them, okay, you can come in at this time. And, well, hey, since the system's already determined it, if there's a change to that time that they need to come in, then again, another automated message will come on. We need to leverage the technology that is there available to us to solve our specific problems. And I think that artificial intelligence allows us to scale our people operations, not replace them, but scale them in terms of the work that right now one person is doing. We can 
we can help them to then do the work of 10 persons. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you've said there. Um, in terms of the artificial intelligence side, do, do you have much truck with what Elon, well, not, is it Elon Musk that said that? Um, he has issues with, with artificial intelligence in terms of some other other things, more of robot sentience and so on, which <laughs> I think may be a, a bit far-fetched at this current time. But in terms of um, workers being maybe not as much demand for workers overall, obviously we, we all should know that over the period of the entire human history, as long as they've at least had people working and being paid for work, there have been developments in technology that have allowed new jobs to come into fruition and old jobs to go, um, similar to the industrial right. revolution where you would have needed maybe 10% of the workers you would have needed to um, create wool and different things they were doing back then, um, but is allowed people to then go into other parts of the overall economy because new jobs were created. But in, in terms of your view, do you think that it will shake out that we will need overall less workers, say, over the next 20 years? Or is it going to be pretty much um, a case of there will be significant, not just dis dislocation for, for persons maybe with, uh, maybe right now that are in their 30s or 40s that over the next 20 years might become, quote unquote, obsolescent? Or do you think essentially it's going to be a case maybe of retraining, but there will be the same amount of jobs or even more jobs than there are uh, currently in, in the overall economy? That's such a big question. Because I guess, <laughs> so, okay. I guess what I'm asking you is there a, a, a few economist theorists um, I have, have, have read over the, my years, unfortunately, to be cursed to be, I've studied finance and <laughs> banking. Uh, we'll posit that there's a certain natural unemployment rate. So I'm I guess I'm basically asking is, do we have to get used to, say in a Barbados context, I think the normal rate is around 8%. Would we have to get right. used to 18% being the normal unemployment rate? And if so, what would those people be doing exactly? Okay. Um, let me just start with a precursor because there, there are different aspects to this, right? Um, and, and just as a high level, um, Mm -hmm. We need to accept that um, business is ultimately done um, person to person. Right? Um, so, so it's really a human transaction. Um, and we humans, we do tend, when things go wrong, which they ultimately do, even in automated, um, fully digitized systems, we want to talk to a human being. Otherwise, we would have gotten rid of secretaries you know, since the 80s, because we all have telephones, we all have these press one for some, for one, whatever department, but we still have a secretary that's there to offer a human voice. So that's straight, that's, well, that's plus one for a human being over artificial intelligence. However, on the other hand, there's an artificial intelligence, which right now is still pretty dumb. So it's still pretty dumb in terms of if I want to build a website, I can't just tell my computer, please um, create a website that I want to sell cat pictures on to persons in China at X price and the computer just does it. You know, I still need to program that into the computer. However, mm -hmm. there are no, because of what, what artificial intelligence really is doing is that it, it's basically telling the computer, take this data, um, 
Yeah, just and it's just raw data. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense on its own, but it must be structured in a specific way. It's really important that if you that you focus on that. Otherwise the computer can't read it. Right? So take mm-hmm. this data, here's how to read it, here's how to interpret it. So those are three things I have to tell the computer. And then I want you to keep reading it and interpreting it faster than any human being can possibly do. But I still and exactly right. Mm-hmm. So then I want you to read it. Interpret it, save what you've interpreted, and then read it again. So we know that every time you read a book, we then get a better understanding of that book. But a computer can read a book far faster and gain more insights from it than we ever could within our lifetime. And it could do that maybe in one day, maybe in one second. So so, so that's really, really, really bare bones um, explanation in terms of what artificial intelligence is doing. So when you see the, that facial recognition, because it's looked at, a million faces, and I say, okay, this looks a lot similar, like all those other million faces I, that I've looked at before. Okay, this must be a face, right? But it's still saying, I think I'm 99% sure it's a face, not completely sure, right? So it's still artificial intelligence. So those are those three elements. However, well, so so that's plus one for AI now, but here's a, here's a caveat to that. Um, well, no, it's actually a minus point for AI because it's still dumb. But the caveat to that is that Computers are starting to learn how to teach each other. Now, that's what Elon Musk and other um, persons that are deep in uh, machine learning, which is really the other area, um, are really concerned about. Because once machines start teaching machines, then we're then going to start seeing this. We all the look. Well, I won't say we're necessarily oh, look, but we're going to start seeing an exponential rate of learning from computers. So, so right now it's still pretty linear, and they're certainly excelling in certain areas, such as well, they're saying you know like they can beat the best chess and goal players, for instance. Um, that's that's very that's very that's very much all logic though. Um, those kind of things is not necessarily creativity. But I've actually seen um, computers. Coming up with art now, I, I think the art would have to be derivative of many different artists, and and that's how they're synthesizing that. But um, in art and in music, I was seeing the uh, uh, well, AI is able to create music, create mm-hmm. art, and uh, well, well, some some people might consider that uh, concerning. But um, so so it's definitely currently dumb. But if you chart twenty years out from now, right. it was a very fast progressing field, especially in China. Mm-hmm in terms of what they're doing, um, some very negative things as well mm-hmm. in terms of what they're getting up to. Um, in the Caribbean, I do know in my time of, of, of uh, being aware of these things, we, we tend to, if not put our heads in the sand outright, we just don't talk about things in a proactive ma- uh, manner. Mm-hmm. So my, my concern personally is that we will just be hit over the head like a truck mm-hmm. um, by these developments over the next decade or two. And, Someone that was having an awareness of these things would have known these were likely challenges to be faced. But um, if we don't talk about it, we just wait for that point. It might be very much a case of being too little, too late. So, 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 so you're absolutely correct. Um, so, so there are persons that are looking at it. Um, I think these discussions are still early uh, in terms of identifying some of the issues. And so, so here are some of the issues that arise from this exponential rate of of learning. So we're seeing that whereas before we may have seen photos being faked, so we're saying that um, maybe somebody's face being imposed on a, uh, 
on a photo. Even video now is, is exactly. it's going that Exactly, right? So, so before it would just be a photo, you know, being superimposed on a body and maybe have them in an uncompromising position, but you're like, okay, well, that never happened. Fine. But now we're seeing video, you know, and, and before that, that may have been un, you know, like unheard of, you know, can a computer really do that? And it looks all seamless and whatnot, but not just, not, not. Yeah, because I've seen a few of them and, and, and you can see that is fake. Well, you know what I mean? You can see it's fake, but the, you know it's fake, but unless you knew it, you really wouldn't be able to tell it was. And that, that is very, very, very worrying to me. And that's the thing there, right? Because no, it's not only just video, it's also video on voice as well. So there was the deep fake, mm-hmm. which is what you call it. Deep fake, um, where you're using machine learning as well as you're faking the uh, presence of a, of a person or individual. Um, right, and like, when we were saying Obama, uh, talking, you know, and he's saying words he's never said before. As one of my favorite rappers, Nas said, it's only half time, so you can stay tuned for the last half of my interview with software engineer and business owner Shannon Clark. That's going to be dropping soon, so look out for that. Thank you for listening to another episode of the New Vision Podcast, and I hope you're getting all set for a tremendous Christmas 2020.